It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 164, Queen Dido and the Founding of Carthage. Queen Dido, also known as Alasar, can be traced to many different historical references, from Assyrian chronological evidence to Josephus, some Christian histories, and a whole slew of Roman references, which incorporate the story of Dido to the Aeneid tale. There's lots of references, and honestly, We've got to throw out a lot of the Roman references connecting Aeneid with Dido because their timelines aren't even close. Connecting Dido with the Aeneid tale as as meeting one of the survivors of the Trojan War, coming and falling in love with Dido. So we're going to stick with the most relevant interpretation of Dido, falling right in line with our biblical timeline as the niece of Jezebel the founder of Carthage. All right, so here's the story. And first of all, I just have to apologize ahead of time if there's any mispronunciations, because I'm not even sure where to even find how you pronounce some of these names correctly. So, yeah, with that disclaimer, here we go. The king of Tyre, who was the brother of Jezebel, dies. He leaves the throne to his son, whose name was... Pelion. Now, Pelion was but a boy, and he had an older sister named Dido. She was married to her uncle, yes, her uncle, named Aserbas, who was the priest of Heracles. And Aserbas was the second in command to King Pelion. Aserbas was insanely wealthy, and this was on the standards of Tyre. I mean, this guy must have been a billionaire by today's standards. Now, Peleon was but a boy, so probably there were some very greedy members of his court which wanted gain, and they persuaded the boy to agree to have Aserbas killed. The boy king orders the death of Aserbas, his brother-in-law, by the way, and he does this securing his right to the throne because Aserbas was second in line to the throne, though he was married to his sister. Complicated. Dido was left with a few options. Uh, One, she could kill herself, or give in to her crazy little brother, or do something else. And we don't know her age for sure, but uh, by most accounts, she was probably in her early 20s. And let's not forget, she's now a single billionaire, possessing the wealth of her dead husband. If you guess she killed herself, well, she's not beyond this, but she's going to make up with her brother and then do something completely unexpected. So it appears that she's making amends with her brother. But what happens next, there's many different accounts of what happens but um, from different writers, but one of them has this billionaires. She attracts many senators who follow her because they don't want to follow her brother and those who encouraged him to kill Aserbas. And also others wanted to follow her because of the great wealth that she now possessed. 
and or they were out with the current government, so they wanted to follow with Dido. They joined her, and they board vessels packed with the billions in gold. There's hundreds of supporters with her. Most likely, they're in the harbor. They're headed out on ships. And at the entrance of the harbor, Peleon and his senators are there with the army and the navy to confront her at the entrance of the harbor. Peleon and his men confront Dido. Peleon wants the gold, and Dido wants to escape with her life. She's outnumbered, and she could be killed. And as Peleon approaches, she innocently performs a homage to her dead husband and takes sandbags filled with the gold and dumps them overboard in salute to and worship in honor of her wonderful dead husband. Peleon screams and orders his men to scramble to get the sandbags from the seafloor as Dido sails away. Over the horizon, Dido escapes with her men and senators on the ships. Peleon's men begin to come up from the ocean floor with tremendous effort, carrying up bags which are hoisted aboard their vessels, torn open to reveal sandbags full of sand. Dido escaped with their life, her senators and supporters, and billions in gold. Because she threw sandbags with sand into the ocean. In anger, Peleon had to come to grips knowing he lost his sister, many people, senators, and ships, and billions in gold. Here's an interesting verse considering what's going on here. Proverbs 15:27. The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. How about this one? Proverbs 28:22. The stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. After making a few stops, Dido parks her ships on the coast of North Africa at a, as a stopping point. Here, while she is resting, the Berber king, Ibus, confronts her. All right, now we've got to consider this African king all of a sudden has a small fleet with hundreds of people nicely dressed parked off his coast. They've got some warriors, but not many, and it appears to be a diplomatic voyage. Yet he's probably threatened due to the surprise. I mean, this is North Africa. You, you don't expect these type of visitors. He approaches them with soldiers, and he's confronted by young Dido herself. He's probably taken off guard, and he probably falls in love with her, which we will learn later he'll want to marry her. Regardless, he acts tough and confronts these people from Tyre. Dido, with great charisma, asked for a small bit of land for a temporary refuge until she could continue her journeying, only as much land as she could encompass by an oxhide. They all agreed. All right. So the king allows her a break and gives her enough land as she can encompass with an oxhide. Basically and figuratively enough to sleep the night since oxhides were like an overcoat, small, or one could even sleep in one like an ancient sleeping bag, or one could even cover a tent with an entire oxhide. In the night, Dido would do something that will survive her to this day. Throughout the night, Dido and her companions do something extraordinary. They took an actual oxide and cut it in fine strips so that she had enough to encircle an entire nearby hill. In the morning, Ibus was inclined to give her the land as he had promised because 
exact she did exactly what he said he said i'd give you as much land as an oxhide could cover and she cut it in fine strips and surrounded the nearby hill and he was inclined to keep his word and day after day dido showed great industry building her city up with billions in gold it didn't take her long to encircle her city with walls and recruit locals for hard labor the city grew tremendously fast and locals moved into her city aiding it in a population boom she soon built temples to her gods including baal and to solidify her ancient rule in this part of the world she quickly came up with some favorable omens and foundation stories here's two of them in digging for a foundation in her city an ox head was found indicating the city would be wealthy another has a horse's head discovered indicating the city would be powerful in war both of these would become incredibly true yet little carthage at this stage is overwhelmed by the nation that it's within which is led by ibis ibis in the end demanded dido to be his wife we learn that Dido thought Ibis to be a savage and barbarian of sorts, yet he obviously could force her to be his wife by sheer force. Now it was her turn to be tricked by her own words. Ibis told Dido's invoice that he demanded her to be his wife. The invoice came back to Dido and lied, saying Ibis demanded someone to live with him to teach him Phoenician ways. Her response was no one would be allowed to do such a thing. Anyone who would do such a thing should be required to give their life for this city if necessary. And with these words, she condemned herself to give her own life for the city. With these words, she condemned herself to give her own life for the city. After all, who would marry a barbarian king? She thought. Whether this is exactly what happens or not, we don't know, but Dido, who tricked everyone all the days of her life, it seemed, apparently agrees to marry him. Ibis is probably excited to cement his relationship and take over Carthage's true marriage, and of course, sees the billions in gold that would become his through marriage. We can never forget gold when we consider Carthage, and even the story of Dido. Dido knows this and prepares to marry him, and as she prepares to marry him, she pays a final homage to her husband. And if the story is true, it says she sacrifices victims to his spirit as a final honor to her dead husband. Right in front of Ibis, Dido ascends the place of sacrifice to pay final homage to her husband and slays herself with a sword instead. Now that's a dramatic legend. I mean, gosh, who honestly knows how much of it's true, but it speaks to the virtue, if you call it that, and arrogance, if you want to call it that, and importance of these Carthaginians that they placed upon those Venetian values that set them apart. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, Carthage will go on to become a republic at some point with a constitution, and will be incredibly successful, no doubt encouraged by the colony's initial investment of billions in gold. Carthage will go on to become one of history's most successful civilizations militarily and economically, basically conquering modern Sicily, Spain, and dominating the Mediterranean via trade and wealth, and militarily nearly conquering all the Roman sphere of influence. 
but the problem will be in Carthage's proximity to rival nation Rome, who they will defeat time and time again in battle, but in the end, the Roman gift of determination and never giving up will serve them well. And of course, we cannot help but tie the bloodline of Jezebel, which historically invites destruction wherever it goes. Yet I share in the birth of Carthage because, hey, it's a really great story. It has an interesting tie into biblical history, and we won't be able to escape the Punic Wars if we see this thing to completion. And we have to speak of modern calculus as well, because this is where Dido leaves a legacy. And basically, productivity, maximization of resources, and resourcefulness, there's a story here. Dido took a simple agreement worth a one-night's hotel room, let's say $100, and turned it into millions of dollars or more worth of land. The agreement was for a little chunk of land for a day or a few days to regroup and recover. In her wittiness and clever decision-making, she stayed within the rules of the agreement but stretched the understanding of the agreement. She maximized her resource, an agreement on land that could be covered by an oxide. Say you've got $100. What do you do with it? Dido showed she can multiply her return. She showed great cleverness and ability to turn a simple agreement into a million-dollar idea. Carthage would expand and become a gleaming harbor in the Mediterranean, whose commerce will dominate the Mediterranean. Her clever decision-making is celebrated in modern mathematics with the Dido problem and modern calculus of variations. If you study calculus and take it to advanced levels, at some point you will encounter the, if I say it right, the isoparametric problem. This problem is presented to students to calculate the maximum area within a fixed boundary. Dido, who stretched the known rules of her day, stretched the boundaries of her given territory. In celebration or just trib tribute to the story of the Oxide and the founding of Carthage, this problem is also called the Dido problem. How to take a given set of plots and maximize the territory coverage. Don't you find it history amazing? Even as Tyre is devastated one day, fulfilling prophecy, and eventually Carthage is destroyed from the map, the memories fade of Jezebel and her descendants, yet there are still faint touches throughout time and even mathematics that remind us of the actions of the past and the indelible mark history leaves in our consciousness and even academia today. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.